Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each week. This is episode 33. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. Uh, it just great, great stuff going on over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Today's episode is going to be just a little bit different. We will have live in the studio with us TJ Taylor from the band Soil. You may also recognize his name as the former drummer of Tantric. He will be joining me live in the studio in just a moment. So please stay tuned. Lost Cabos Drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today. Lost Cabos Drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business. The best news, almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory. If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. It's always a good day when you get to uh, feature a fellow Kentuckian uh, on your show, and uh, TJ is no exception to that rule. TJ, of course, a proud uh, Kentuckian, uh, grew up uh, over in the Lawrenceburg area of central Kentucky, and and TJ makes his home now here in Georgetown, where I'm located, Uh, and TJ's just doing fantastic work out on the road with soil and in the studio with those guys, Uh, spent... uh, a few years in the band Tantric as well. TJ's just a monster drummer, so was really excited to have him here live in the studio this week. So help me welcome my friend TJ Taylor to the Drum Shuffle. TJ, welcome to Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. How are you, brother? Doing good, man. Thanks. Yeah, Awesome, man. Hey, so you are our first in studio guest you know we normally do these on the phone so i'm super excited to actually have you sitting here in the studio with us glad to be on the maiden voyage (laughs) it's it's all good in studio absolutely well you know i mean you and i go back a little bit kind of through social media and we you know we've ran in some of the same circles over the years um but i didn't realize that you actually lived here in my hometown until you know we started talking about getting you on the show yeah and you're like well i'm just right down the road so i was like well we got to do it in person then right as well yeah so um so tj what we typically do on the show is we always go back to the beginning um Tell us how you got into music to begin with, and how did you end up as a drummer? Yeah, well, I think, let's see, I was, I was around six or seven years old, and I think I'd seen the music video for Van Halen um, right now. Yeah, okay. And uh, I think I was bit right then. I, I wanted to be a drummer, and uh of course, I was I was young and asking my parents for a drum kit at that age. You know, they just assume that it's something that's it's interesting at the time, but it's going to blow over. I'm not going to. 
Oh, you, you know, you got the same story yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we'll buy this, and then six yeah. weeks later, it'll, yeah, right. So I had to, I guess, prove myself with being interested in drums. So, um, I did the the normal pots and pans thing, and you know, I actually had a little keyboard that had a little drum pad on it. It was a little five dollar Casio thing that had, you know, the kick drum, snare, and a couple toms, and a little cymbal. And I actually, I think I learned how to play the drums by knowing how to do the beat on the keyboard. Yeah, sure. And uh, luckily, uh, I had a neighbor uh, across the street that had a drum kit that was sitting in the basement. Uh, it was sitting in about two inches of water. Oh, man. And I was okay. like, well, hey, he, he probably doesn't need that drum kit if he could, doesn't mind if it's sitting in the water. And it was stacked up in the corner. So I'd asked him if he was wanting to get rid of it. And uh, I think it was a drum kit that he had in college and it was sentimental and he didn't want to let it go. So. I must have asked him about the drum kit probably 60, 70 times over the, <laughs> right. <laughs> over the next few days. And then uh, he gave up and uh, came home one day and the drum kit was sitting on the front porch. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. So luckily, there we go. I had a drum kit. Bypassed mom and dad and went straight to, yeah, well, that's the, to way the to basement, get- set it up, and there you go. I was ready to do it. So. Yeah, then, that's that's the way to get anything done, right? If yeah. you can cut mom and dad out of the yeah. circle, that's fantastic. And... Uh, yeah, and then I remember I, I was so excited to play the drum kit. I got set up on a Sunday night uh, way late, and I was so excited to play it, but it was too late to play it. So the next morning, 6 a.m., I went downstairs, not knowing how loud the drums really were, started playing the drums, and I'm surprised that they didn't throw the drums out into the trash. But That's um, so funny. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you didn't know. And it was I like, oh, okay, you know, it's Monday morning. It's 6 a.m. I, I spent all night getting this set up. I'm going to go let it rip. And, yep. you, and you let it rip. I did. I did. And then uh, I believe from that on, or from then on, I started playing every, every, uh, Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, uh, Allison Chains, uh, Van Halen, Soundguard, everything I get my hands on to, I would go down to the basement and listen to the music and try to learn what the drums were doing, you know, yeah. and uh, kind of analyze it and start to make sense of what I was hearing and then try to play it on the drum kit. And it was funny because I didn't realize that the kick drum was the the the, the beat that, you know, I didn't realize you played it like you know, I I thought the floor tom was the kick drum. I thought you played it with your hands. Right. You know, and then, uh, then I watched, you know, a video. I was like, okay, they're not playing the floor tom like they think they are. That's the kick drum. So I, I adjusted it. You started using my foot. Of course, I'm seven or eight years old at this point. I'm, I'm trying, right. I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're just yeah. a young guy. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but once I, once it made sense to have the kick drum and the snare and the hi-hat work together, it was, uh, came pretty easy. But then, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I think I played every, you know, every Van Halen record, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, just, just wore them out. Sure. And well, then, I, I, your story is very similar to mine. And we talked about this a little bit, you know, before we sat down to start the interview. Um, you know, I, I do not come from, from an, an educated drumming background. You know, I bought a drum set put on the records, just play till your fingers bleed, you know, until you have really bad calluses, Um, just trying to figure stuff out. And I think you came from that same school. But one of the things that that I really want to talk about, if anybody's ever seen any of your social media or any of your stuff, uh, you know, from your years in Tantric or or with Soil, um, you know, 
you play a very unique setup. You're you're a left-handed guy. Yeah. Um, but you play a right-handed kit. So, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. You're I guess you're more dominant with your right foot, so you play open-handed. Yes. Um, and it's really unique and and I kind of said, you know, I, I maybe you have two brains because you do play left-hand lead, but yet when you start a roll down the toms, you start with your right hand. So have you just always played that way? Is that just what came naturally to you? Yeah. You know, learning how to play the drums, just watching drummers play. You know, I noticed that the, you know, the majority of the drummers were playing on the right side. um, But I just didn't have the control with my right hand crossing over and playing, being left-handed. So I, uh, I said, well, if I, if I spread my arms apart and keep them separated, I can I can still control better and do the hi-hat work with my left hand and have more power with my right hand. So that made sense. But the next problem that I had was, you know, setting a drum kit up to where you have, you know, your ride cymbal in the right spot and then your toms not being in the way. So I had to find a way to alter the drum kit to where I could not have to cross my hands to play the ride cymbal. Right. And... and try to leave the drum kit with my left hand, but it still was easier to leave with my right hand. I gotcha. Okay. So yeah, so it would, I guess maybe out of just learning to play that way, I naturally led with my right hand. I moved the cymbal over to where it's directly in front of the snare drum. And then I moved my rack tom. I usually have one rack and I have it centered or basically to the right of the ride cymbal. And then I do two down. So two floor toms. And um, the modified bottom, the, the modified bottom. That's what it is. <laughs> That's fantastic. The, the only f- unfortunate thing for me is where I'm having the Tom, uh, you know, if I put it on a snare stand, like if I had to get a, a, a good size Tom, it's too far to the right to, yeah. to, to naturally play it to where it makes sense. So I have to get a smaller Tom and right and mount it, you know, right on top of the kick drum beside the cymbal. So I'm kind of limited on what I can play because of the fact that the, the Tom has to be close enough. Right. To play it that way. For, for it to make sense for your style. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, as I said, when I watch videos of you playing, it just, it, it amazes me, you know, because obviously I'm a right-handed guy. I play traditionally, um, you know, like so many drummers do. Um, when you walk into an audition or a studio session or anything like that, how many of the raised eyebrows do you oh, get? Constantly. Uh, constantly. Go, Wait a minute. You're going to play like that? You know, I can see a studio yeah. engineer going, oh, man, I don't know how to mic you up. You, yeah. You, well, on tour, we always the sound guy comes up and he's always saying, you know, I'm looking at your, your input list. I'm looking at your drum diagram. This is kind of weird. You got, I guess you're doing one rack tom and there's a symbol here. And then I'm like, yeah, it's just a, it's kind of like a hybrid lefty righty is what I call it. It's just a, it's a yeah. hybrid of the two. It's like I took two, you know, the, Really, you're just switching the ride cymbal and the rack top. Yeah. I mean, that's, and a lot of times we would, you know, we would share drum kits with other bands just to make it simple, like festivals and stuff. And I had to explain to them that I could share a drum kit, but I'm going to have to switch the, the tom and the ride cymbal. And, and I'm sure everybody's just like, what are you what? talking yeah. about? Like, what's what? wrong with this guy? <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so growing up, you know, you said you got your first kit when you were like six or seven years old and you were just playing along with records, all that. When did you start, you know, kind of forming your garage bands? You know, when, when did you start doing your thing? Well, I guess uh, probably middle school. 
Okay. Yeah, we uh, had some friends that play guitar, and uh, we didn't have a bass player. I think we didn't grab a bass player until high school. <laughs> okay. We didn't know it didn't matter. We you know we had the guitar and the drums. It was good enough. You know, you were just going to jam. Yeah, we were just jamming, and uh, you know we were jamming on some Megadeth and some Metallica covers, and um, we uh, you know we we just we we were learning how to do it. You know, sure. We were we were trying to write songs too, and we, they were. Usually we we scrap them, but we we tried. And then uh, when I got into high school, uh, we got a little more serious with it, and uh, we found a singer, which was the guitar player's brother, and uh, we found a bass player, and uh, we started learning some cover songs, and we tried to get some gigs and stuff, and we ended up uh, getting some gigs, you know, at a, a local bar, and uh, of course I wasn't of age yet, so <laughs> I couldn't, you, none of us were. <laughs> I wasn't able to to leave the stage. I had to basically we'd do a set, I'd have to sit on the stage for the next twenty minutes till the next set started. We'd do another set, sit and wait on the stage, and we pretty much did that at, you know two or three nights a week. And then we got pretty good at the cover thing, and then uh, started writing some more music. And then uh, we, you know, we we gigged as much as we could, and sure, we gave it you know the best stab that we could give, and we yeah. eventually. Uh, um, yeah, in, in college, same way. Okay. We're just, uh, doing the local band thing. And when did you throw your hat in the ring as a professional musician? In, in other words, did you, um, go searching for, uh, you know, an established band to join, um, you know, because I know you were in Tantric for a mm-hmm. while and, you know, obviously those guys are from our area, you know, to, to yeah. a certain degree. Uh, and they had had some success, obviously, uh, when you joined the band. Were you looking for that situation or were you just wanting oh, yeah. to play more music? Well, you know, being a drummer, it's, you know, the, it's really hard, to, you know, to, to form a band and, uh, you know, there's just so much that goes into doing it. I thought I'd take the easy way out. And, and try to join a band, you know, I'm <laughs> sure. like, you know, I was bypassed the whole starting a band thing. But the, uh, you know, like you said, luckily in, in Louisville, uh, Tantric was taken off and they were, um, they, they had had a, a few, you know, kind of platinum record and right. a few good hits and stuff. And uh, uh, the, one of the bands that I was playing in, uh, the bass player uh, had started a relationship with Hugo, uh, working relationship with playing or doing some producing and, uh, bringing some bands and stuff into a bar that he was working at or uh, that he was actually, Hugo had done some promoting, I guess, at a, at a club yep. in Louisville. Okay. And um, so the bass player had a uh, working relationship with him and he was wanting to do a solo record and needed a drummer. Okay. So uh, he gave me a phone call and of course I was a stack to do it because I, I loved Tantric. I listened to Tantric when I was you know, in high school and stuff and I was aware of what, you know, tantric was. So, uh, yeah, I went to Louisville and we started jamming and, uh, he decided to, to do the tantric thing. This is, let's rewind here. I guess there was, this was probably six or seven years after the, the second record, tantric second record. They basically the, the Maverick records who they had signed to had went bankrupt and folded and, uh, Which that was Madonna's that label. Was, yes, Madonna's so, label. So I mean, you know, you, Madonna's you, who found Tantric. Actually, it's funny. Yeah, she, really. Yeah, she. Oh, and now see, I don't know this story. Yeah. So now, now you got a dish. Yeah, she. Uh, 
she had, of course, Days of the New helps, you know, the fact that the guys yeah. were in Days of the New. And so they had that going for them. But Madonna was pitched uh, the, the first Tantric record, and she said, yeah, sign them. Let's have a rock band. Let's do really? it. Yeah. I see. I did not know that. I mean, yeah. I knew Maverick was Madonna's label. And when you say, you know, the label goes bankrupt, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. well, it didn't really have to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that was that was early 2000s and things were kind of changing with, you know, the the whole, uh, you know, Napster was right starting to, you know, the, the labels were all kind of changing their business plans and the way they did things. And well, it was right after the the Seagram's deal, too. You know, uh, it, the alcohol company Seagram's seven or whatever, you know, Seagram's came in and and bought gosh, I want to say 12 or 14 record labels overnight oh, and wow. just kind of consolidated them. You know, A&M went away, Enigma went away, you know, Capital, uh, you know, kind of reformed after all that. Um, you know, so it, it was a weird time. So yeah. so your point is well taken. Um, so I, I, I interrupted, so I'm sorry for no. that. But um, so Tantric had, you know, put out a couple of records Hugo, I guess, was talking about doing a solo yeah, record. Yeah, doing, doing a solo record. He, uh, he, you know, he spent six years trying to get this solo record together. I think, and <laughs> <laughs> as solo records go, yeah. yeah. And uh, he had uh, acquired the name Tantric after the, you know, the breakup and everything, and he decided to go ahead with Tantric. And he uh, had at that time gotten a drummer from Fuel, uh, Kevin Miller. Oh yeah, play drums and kind of. We did the lineup. He got uh, uh, a couple of guys from Boston, uh, Joe Pesci, I think, and uh, uh, Eric Leinhart was the bass player. And these okay. guys were just, they're killer players from, I think they're from the Boston area, but he... Uh, hired guns. Hired sorry. guns, yeah. yeah. And he, he, so he put the record out, the, the End Begins, and then uh, uh, they had the song Down and Out, which was fairly successful, did pretty good on the rock charts. and. Right. uh so Tantra kind of had another wind, and uh, but then they uh, split apart again. The, all the band members went a different direction. I think the uh, Kevin Miller, the drummer, had left the band. Um, they got a new drummer. Uh, a few years later, they put out another record, uh, Mind Control, and uh, toured on it for about a year. And uh, another band lineup come in, <laughs> and that was when I was able to step in and. Uh, Hugo had I'd been in I'd talked to Hugo several times and showed him interest in wanting to play in the band. Sure. And uh he was doing some pre production for uh the new record thirty seven channels and uh I I came in and did some recording with him and told him that, you know, if he's if he's wanting to do some touring and stuff that I'm more than happy to come on board and do it. So he he finished the record and gave me a phone call and next thing you know I'm in Tantric, so Wow. Yeah. We we toured golly, probably three hundred days of the year for, for the next two or three years. That much. <laughs> it's really? not stop, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, we uh yeah, we we went out and we would do probably three to four weeks on, take a week off, two weeks off here and there. But it was like I say, it wasn't consistently Right. But it was it, we we toured as much as we could possibly tour and uh did that album cycle. And then we we put out a uh, like a B side record with uh, a lot of previous recorded stuff that he had had laying around his computer and a few other songs, a couple of new songs we put together, and then uh, some acoustic versions of, of Breakdown and Morning. Sure. And, and uh, 
yeah, and then we toured that cycle, which was another probably 300 shows. And then wow. that's it, just a lot, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, I get asked all the time, you know, if folks will say, you know, going out on a big rock and roll tour, it's, a, you know, it's got to be fun. You're making all this money and you're seeing the world and all that. And, and oh, you never see the world. You, you see the, the you, bunk in your tour bus. <laughs> right. Well, and, and you know, I yeah. mean, the, the joke and I don't know who said this, so I'm not going to give credit where credit's due. But somebody said, you know, the life of a touring musician is an hour of sheer exhilaration, you know, surrounded by 23 hours of the worst boredom you can imagine. That nails it. Yeah. So pretty much. Yeah. You, you got to learn how to entertain yourself and, you know, it's, they say that, you know, the, you know, touring is, or being, being in a band like that is, is not so much about how how good of a player you are as much as it is how good of a hanger you are. If you can oh, hang, yeah. if you yeah. can do the hang, you can pretty much do it because, you know, you're, like you said, you're playing for an hour and 15 minutes and you're, you're stuck in a, in a tube with six <laughs> or seven other people for the next, yeah, you know, 23 hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and if you're a jerk, yeah, you, you will find yourself unemployed very, very, very quick, fast. Yeah, very absolutely. Quickly. Yeah. So in this time, I mean, you know, and I'm assuming you're still when you're doing these big tours, you're still a young guy. You're a little bit younger than me, um, you know, but did you have a family at the time? And I, I mean, I guess I want you to relay, you know, being on the road 300 days a year. It's not exactly easy to be married or have a girlfriend or, you no. know, you, you don't even see your parents. You don't see your siblings, you know, to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's probably a little easier now than it ever has been because you know with with cell phones you, yeah, you know face FaceTime yeah. FaceTime is huge especially when you have kids you know to be able to see your kid and talk to him every night and stuff that makes it so much easier you know you know but then, then there's the I've always had I've always been able to do the FaceTime thing since I've been touring but the you know with with the guys in soil you know this I remember the days when you know you you tell your girlfriend you know hey I'll talk to you in 4 days you know I'll, <laughs> I'll call you in 4 days and there was no pressure to, right. to keep up with them you go out and you, 4 days later they call and they have an hour long conversation I'll see you another talk to you another 4 days or whatever you know right but now you know it's, if you you know you go a couple hours without texting or calling it's they get a little nervous and wonder what you're doing yeah but it's uh I don't know I wouldn't have any other way I love being able to to call and chat and sure. see my wife's face, see my kid's face. And, you know, it, it really takes the kind of the monotony of touring out a little bit to be able to have that connection to kind of bridge the two together. Right. You know? So, yeah, but it's, uh, it's, it's being, it's, you know, it has its drawbacks when you've, when you're touring, for example, in Europe and, you know, you're, yeah, the, the time schedule has been flipped and you're trying to call them at, three in the morning and right you know it's you know i don't know six in the or seven or eight in the morning for me or whatever it would be that was it got a little tough then but overall it's uh you know the, the facetime's a it's a lifesaver yeah well i i mean i i'm sure it is a lot easier nowadays you know I, i'm an old timer 
<laughs> you know, the last serious like overnight stuff that I did was in the late 90s, you know, in, in very early 2000s. So, you know, it was a little bit different. Everybody didn't have a cell phone back then. Yeah. You know, I mean, cell phones were still, you know, 30 cents a minute or whatever back you know, yeah. when, when I was doing it. So you, you didn't have the cell phone kind of thing. Um, well, you mentioned soil, and I know that you just wrapped up a, a, a really nice run with those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and Tantric was on the bill with you. It was yeah, kind of one yeah, of those package was, tours. How, was it cool to see those It was those cool. Guys? It was like an ex-girlfriend thing, though, for sure. Like, <laughs> and I hadn't met the, the, the guys in the band, the new, the, the new lineup. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was funny. It was like, you know, I was on the side stage watching their set and stuff, and I, they kept looking at me, and I'm looking at them, and I'm – trying to show my enthusiasm because it's like, I feel like they they think that I'm judging them, but I'm not judging them. It's just, you know, it, it's definitely a weird, uh, it's like the, the ex-girlfriend that's trying to yeah. you know, see, you know, this, it's a drummer better than me. No. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. cool. We, we got along great, you know, it was good to see Hugo again and, yeah, and just uh, healthy no. competition, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's, yeah. that's kind of how it is. Well, it was a really cool package. I, I know you had um, saliva. Yeah, uh, soil was was on the show. Uh, Tantric, and you told me earlier, puddle it, of mud, a puddle of mud, yeah, and is, then another band called Shallow Side. Okay, yeah. So, um, you guys did. Uh, it was several weeks that you were out on the road. Tell me a little bit about the reception on these shows. I mean, was it oh, just yeah, crazy? They're, they're or? great. Yeah, we. Uh, you know, we of course the tour is still going. We still had to drop off uh, about a quarter way through the tour because of other things going on with the band and stuff. But the uh, yeah, the shows we were doing, we started in North Dakota, and uh, we did a couple of big venues, and, and you know, people were showing up. And on a, it, when people show up on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, you know, and, yeah, and fill the house, yeah, that's a good sign, you know. But with you know with a tour package like this, it's a it's not too hard to to sell tickets. So it, it was a great tour. Um, it's kind of an era tour, I guess, you know, because yeah. Puddle and Mud's Live Tantric Soil, they all kind of were the, you know, 2000 late or early to mid 2000s, I guess, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, it was a great tour. Great tour. So how did you end up hooking up with the Soil guys? Where are they originally from and and, and how did you get meshed in with those guys? Yeah, I'm yeah. kind of curious about that. Uh, well, the bass player, Tim, uh, he works at the label uh, Pavement. Okay. Which Tantric was or still is signed to. Um, he was our AR guy for uh, oh okay for so, three years yeah okay he uh, you know we we struck a friendship but we toured with Soil probably I think we did a couple tours so a couple months worth of shows with them and just kind of struck up a friendship and stuff and me and Tim would hang out and you know drink some beers together and stuff and sure but with Tim though you got to watch it because he'll try to he'll make you drink his entire color of beer. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but he, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a friendship and I, I was parting ways with Tantric. I just kind of told Tim, I said, Hey, if you guys, you know, I don't know, I know you have a drummer, but if whatever happens and you guys ever need a drummer, I love the band, love to, you know, love to come jam with you guys, just throwing it out there. Just yeah. more or less in conversation. And, uh, I guess it was two years later after I'd said that I get a phone call from Tim. He was like, all right, you ready to do it? I'm like, ready to do what? He was like, we need a drummer, man. Come, uh, That's awesome. come up to Chicago and let's do this thing. So, uh, yeah. So I drove to Chicago and did kind of an audition rehearsal and we started a tour the next couple of weeks when I was saving Abel and, uh, yeah, it was, 
was all good, man. I've been the band ever since. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So, so you were kind of a known commodity, and yeah, everyone knows each other in these circles. Yeah. You know, when you tour, when you tour together, and um, you know, it's the best thing about touring is you build these relationships up, and uh, you know, when, once you kind of get in the circle and kind of get to knowing everybody, you know, if you're, if you're if you have a pretty good attitude and you don't, you know, you're not a jackass, right? You know, yeah, you can call people up and say, "Hey, I'm looking for a gig," and they'll, you know, they'll they'll extend their hand and sometimes either push you in the right direction or you know, make a phone call to somebody they know looking for right for somebody and and that's that's what's that's what happened to me with soil and uh, yeah, well, and I think the cool thing is, you know, it's. Um, I don't know that I've ever joined a band. I mean, and I've certainly never done anything on the level that you're doing it on, but I've never joined a new group of guys to play music that it wasn't like, oh, you know, you should call Jamie. You know, he would be a really good fit for this, you know, and it's and it's the same thing for TJ. It's oh, man, you got to talk to TJ. You know, he, yeah. he's your guy. Um, you know, it's all word of mouth in this business. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I think a lot of people lose sight of that. And, you know, I, I see guys on the Internet every day. They're doing, you know, Instagram videos of them just absolutely shredding. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean. I can find a nine-year-old girl on YouTube right now. I I get so, like, I try to watch some of those videos. I'm just like, oh, man. Uh, Yeah, why do I even? What am I doing? Exactly. (laughs) I can't play like that if I even wanted to, you know. It it just blows my mind. But, you know, there's there's a place. There's drummers that can can kill it on Instagram and YouTube. And, you know, a a lot of that style of drumming may not be applicable when you're doing songs you right. know so i think that it's easy to get discouraged when you watch that and think oh i'm not good enough you know this guy you know or this this lady playing these drums and tearing it up and she's she's killing it and i can't even do that so there why would i even you know yeah. she doesn't even have a big gig playing for you know so, but it's it's you have to realize it's just a different it's a different thing it's a different it is for sure. Well, I mean, you know, one of the guys that we had on the show and, and, and I come back to this story all the time. So I apologize to my listeners, but Johnny Rab was yeah. on the show. Yeah. And at one time he was the world's fastest drummer, you uh-huh. know, and he's in Collective Soul now, which yeah. is one of the great songwriting bands of the 90s. Yes. Period. Yeah. Um, you know, but he was like, nobody cares that I can play 1800 beats in a minute doing single stroke rolls. Yeah. If I can't play the song, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yep. it's like none yep. of that matters if you can't groove. And, you know, I think that's one of the cool things about your particular style of drumming is it always grooves, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it's, um, you know, it, it you're not an, a classic over player. It's, you know, in that genre of music, kind of the modern guitar rock stuff, yeah. you can find drummers that overplay everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you you always groove. It's always tasteful. Um, so tell me a little bit about some of your influences. You mentioned Alex Van Halen, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so tell me what, I guess, what created TJ okay. as a drummer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, John Bonham. Let's just say John Bonham, period. There you go. Well, you know, <laughs> no. that'll do it for this episode All of right. the Drum Shuffle, folks, because um, TJ and I have run out of influences, yep. you know. <laughs> it's the thing, you know, John Bonham's influenced every other drummer, so it's hard to say, you know, it, it's like there's a degree of John Bonham in, in every rock drummer in the history yeah. of rock drumming, but yeah, John Bonham was a huge influence, and uh, let's see, I guess, uh, you know, I started, you know, the, like, 
Soundgarden, you know, Matt Cameron, oh, yeah. terrific drummer. And I liked, I always loved how he had a little bit of a swing style to yeah. him. He could swing it just enough to where, you know, it was still, it was still that pocket hard rock groove, but it still kind of had some movement to it. And I always appreciated that. Um, I listened to, jeez, uh, let's see. Um, yeah, Alex Van Halen was always a huge influence. Sure. And, um, um, Lars Ulrich. Yeah. You know, I know he's, he's not a flashy drummer, but he's one of the most solid drummers, you know, he, yeah. he's without Lars, I think Metallica would have, would have sounded completely different. Obviously it's, uh, you know, I, I like drummers that can really, you know, really define the music that they're playing for, you know, uh, always like drummers like Kenny Arnoff, Kenny Arnoff, just a great drummer. He's played on so many songs that we probably wouldn't even realize was Kenny. You I know. know. I, I, and you know, it does not fail if you turn on like the Academy Awards or yeah. the Kennedy Center Honors or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Kenny is Kenny's there. there. He's the one guy that you know that can, you can trust to, to nail the part, you know, he does charts it? them out, you know, yep. he'll do the chart out every little hit and smack and, and he's, he can play the, uh, the set, top to bottom without a single issue, you know? Yeah. And that's good to, you know, that's great that there's drummers out there that can do that. I sure as heck can't do that. You know, I'm a, you know, I can, I can kind of chart, but my, my memory is the only way I can play. Yeah. You know, I got a, I'm a memory drummer and that only goes so far. I can't learn an entire set the night before and then play it, you know, flawless. So, well, it goes hats with, off to people like Kenny Arnoff who can do that. Right. Well, I mean, it goes without saying, I mean, you know, I could not step into the dream theater gig. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's just, first of all, I don't have the technical ability to, to even play it. And secondly, I would never be able to memorize, you oh, know, gosh, yeah. a, a technical opus that's 13, 14 minutes long, yeah. you know, like a Portnoy or a, or a Mangini, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. those guys are just gods, you know, as far as yeah. technical prowess is concerned. Um, you know, when we talk about influences, you said Bonham and, you know, I think it goes without saying everybody says Bonham, um, you know, and here's the thing that that I'm curious about. And I ask a lot of people this, you know, Bonham was um, and this is just my opinion only. Bonham was the guy that had the groove, the chops, the power, the finesse. It's like usually if you find a really great drummer, they're only going to have two or three of the four. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Ingredients. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess I'm curious, you know, are you more of a groove uh, or a finesse? I mean, wh what would you say your strong suits are as a drummer? Gro groove, yeah. I think that I always uh, lean towards, you know, all my favorite drum parts are, are parts with heavy grooves, you know. Uh, you know, the, the finesse, you know, I would hope that I could bring finesse to the groove, you know. Um, you know, drummers like Morgan Rose from Seven Deaths, you know, he's yeah. a monster smasher drummer, but he's, he's also got this groove that nobody, you know, like – Seven Dust wouldn't be Seven Dust without Morgan's drumming. You yeah. Know? And uh, he also looks like he's killing his dinner yeah. back there. You know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, his arms bend. I don't see how they bend that way. I don't know how. Yeah. He, it's like he throws his arm completely around his, his back and then back around again. Like it's not even attached to his body. I don't. Every time I watch him play, I'm always just sitting there with my, my jaw dropped wondering yeah. how he's doing it. Yeah. How but, do you do that? Yeah. I, it can't be taught. Yeah. You know, that's that's for sure. Um, so, 
you know, the the stuff that you're doing now with soil, um, you said there were some other things going on with the band, not looking for a scoop or anything like that. You know, I'm no journalist. I'm just a drummer, <laughs> but um, some new music on the horizon. Yeah, we're, we're working on uh, trying to get, you know, maybe 2019, try to put out a maybe an EP of, uh, you know, six or seven songs, maybe. Um, we uh, we threw around the idea of doing another record, full full length record. Sure. But, um, it's just you know the the, the industry is kind of a it's a it's a weird place you know the albums there's no such thing yeah I mean it's the, the way people consume music anymore you know most people have some type of you know account like a Spotify or a you yeah. know iTunes Music and um, it's people are kind of a little more wishy washy about how what they listen to they rather listen to a playlist with you know 200 songs on it rather than you know get attached to a single record right. anymore so. Um, you know, it's we'll we'll see, we we'll see how it goes. I guess we might we might do a full record. We might just do an EP and then do a full record after that at some point. But uh, yeah, we're working on. You know, we're going to focus on six songs right now and uh, keep so touring. It sounds like there's no pressure. There's really. no yeah. This yeah. And you know, with a band like Soil too, that's been around, you know, twenty years now. Right. You know, they they kind of they're at the point now where they just want to do what they want to do. You know, yeah. they're, they're not trying to. The label's not standing there. Yeah. You know, well, the label is the bass player, so it's like he he yeah. co-owns the label, so it's hard to, you know, he the, the he, boss isn't calling. The, Where's my exactly. record? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good spot to be in, you know, for sure. Um, what is the writing process like with Soil? Do all of you guys get in a room together? Or? Yes, yeah. They they have, uh, you know, it's it's not a band where you've. You, you do a demo and you send some drum machine stuff over and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can't play that. Uh, right. <laughs> it's too much. It's a little too fast, a little too many double kick drum hits there or whatever. But no, with this band, it's it's more organic. We we get into a room and with, with no intention of, or no, you know, usually there's not even a riff or anything. We just, we sit down, we look at each other. And oh, the first cool. person to start playing something, you know, we'll, if we feel it, we'll start grooving into it and we'll kind of move with it. And then, you know, we'll try to throw as many ideas out there as we possibly can and whatever sticks we kind of go with. And it's kind of the old school way of doing yeah, it, yeah. really. You know, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, you brought up a good point and I want to explore this a little bit. And I don't know if you've ever done the, oh, I'm going to fly my drum tracks to you via oh, Dropbox yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and all that. I mean, it's still making music. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, of course, we had the great Matt Chamberlain on the show not too long ago, and he makes his living doing drum tracks for folks and and sending it out, you know, and and he's very critical of his playing. He wants to make sure his clients are happy and everything. But it seems like every time I've been in the situation of, okay, here's a riff see what you can put to it, send it back to me. Then I'll, you know, see if you're playing inspired something. It always feels like it's lacking that, you know, four or five dudes in a room making music vibe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just love getting in a room and it's like, let's see if anything happens. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is, you know, now there's no such thing as tape. You know, you're yeah. <laughs> you're doing it in in uh, Pro Tools. You know, always have the mics on. Always, oh, always, always. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We usually you know, we turn a phone on, start recording from the phone, and just leave it rolling. You know, we have three hours of of songwriting to to weed through and try to figure out what ideas we liked. You know. Yeah. And sometimes you 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 know playing back, you'll hear things that you didn't realize that when you were all together writing that oh that that was actually a pretty cool riff. We could probably take that and you know we'll 
jot that down and use that in the next session or whatever. But, you know, it's, you know, there's something to be said about, you know, five guys in a room together for sure. You know, when you're, there's a humanization factor that goes into it that, you know, that really feeding off of each other, you know, you can almost hear it. You can feel it. You can hear it. And when you, you know, if you record the guitars and then send the guitar tracks to the drummer, he records the drums, you know, you know, the bass player and the drummer, you know, there's a, there's a relationship there, you know, there's a push and pull thing that goes on. And if you're, if the drummer's already made his mind up and recorded it and it's done and then the bass player kind of has to conform what he was playing and, you know, it's just, I don't think it's as, uh, it doesn't have the same sparkle to it as it would if you were all in the room working it out and then you, you, you know, play off of each other rather than, you know, what. Absolutely. You know, and, and in this day and age, you know, I mean, everything is, is, you know, play it to a click track, Mm -hmm. snap it to the grid. Everything has to be so perfect. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of the, the life out of stuff. Now I'm not saying that we as drummers shouldn't be able to play with a click and lock onto it, but going back to bottom, if you ever listen to Led Zeppelin stuff with a metronome, he's all over the place. Yeah, yeah. You know, a song that starts out at, you know, let's say 110 BPM might end at 140. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it there's some wild, wide swings in tempo in that music. The Stones, same thing. The Beatles, same thing. Yeah. You, know, you take those three bands together and they've sold like, a billion records, right? So it's not about snapping everything to the grid. So there's, there's something else to it, you know? And I always tell people, you know, you got to be prepared to play with the click, but sometimes not snapping everything to the grid, letting a song breathe, bring something to it that, that I think just that single-minded obsession of it has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. That that's not what the studio is about to me. Anything's possible in the studio and you want it to be as good as it can be. Um, you know, but I think it's cool that you guys are, you, you know, in a room together writing and, and learning, you know, does this song need to be played at, at what tempo, you know, and it's not just, here's the riff, TJ, play this at 123 BPM, you know, snap to the grid kind of thing. I just, I feel like it takes some soul away from it for sure. Yeah. You know, Um, talking about the recording process. Now you've done some records, obviously, in your career. Um, Give some advice to folks listening. You know, you've recorded with Tantric, obviously. You've recorded with Soil. I I know you work with local artists here in Central Kentucky Mm -hmm. as well. Um, You know, I've harped on it for, (laughs) you know, episode upon episode of the show. But give us some advice about going into the studio with somebody. I mean, what do you try to do when you show up? Well, the biggest thing is just try to understand, you know, what, how they envision, you know, the recording coming out, you know, it's, I could go in there and I could try to do what I think is cool, you know, from a drummer's perspective. But at the end of the day, the song has to win, you know, every time the song, it's all about the song. And I think that if you could take the approach of less is more, obviously I think that goes a long way. And in in my, usually the the way I do it is I'll go into the studio and I'll kind of track the drums as simple and as very clean cut as possible. And if there's a, a, a place in the song that might call for a little more, I'll start punching in and adding in some, maybe some feels that are a little more interesting or a little more, uh, 
intricate stuff, but but overall, just try to keep it simple and to make sure that the song is not getting lost in in a drummer's head trying to be a drummer. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that every musician has should have that approach. I feel like you know, from the guitars to the to the bass guitar, and uh, you know, that at the end of the day, it's it's the gestalt of everything together that makes the song. It's not you know any part over the other. It's you know, and I think if you can if you can take that approach to it, um, it usually has better results. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I think it was Hal Blaine said once, he said, you know, a good song doesn't care who drums on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you know, good. Yeah. And I, you know, and I've heard that, you know, all different, you know, ways, you know, a good song doesn't care who sings it. A good song doesn't care who plays guitar on it, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But, um, you know, Hal Blaine was one of those guys that, I mean, my God, if you listen to music in the 60s, you know, he's probably 20 of your favorite drummers. Yeah. You, you know what yeah. I mean? Because he played with everybody, you know, just yeah. just that massive, uh, you know, um, recording library that that he was part of. Um, so, I mean, I think that's really good advice to say, you know, play for the song. And I think a lot of people, you know, especially early in their career, when they get into a recording studio, it's like, Oh, now it's time for me to show my best Jeff Picaro. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Pert. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna go into lick fest here, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And so I think that kind of gets lost. Um, I, one of the traditions of our show, a, a, as well, TJ, is we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've had a very successful career, and you know. I have mad respect for you because a lot of guys would say, well, you have to go where the action is. You know, you got to move to New York. You, you got to move to L.A. You got to move mm-hmm. to Nashville kind of thing. Here we are, you know, two guys that love playing drums. We're sitting in Georgetown, Kentucky tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we make our home here in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is not <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. a, a musical <laughs> hotbed. But so you've had all this, you know, career success living here. Give us some advice, uh, you know, and it doesn't have to be about where you're located geographically necessarily, but share some advice with our listeners, you know. Well, you know, the the biggest thing I can say is don't be a jerk. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. That goes that goes such a long way. If you could, you know, if you can have a good attitude, I think you can, you can, you know, it's, you can move to Nashville or you can move to Los Angeles, or New York, but if you can't be a decent person to be around, yeah you're not going to get gigs, you know, you can, you know, especially if you go somewhere where there's you know, like Nashville, you can go down there. Everybody in Nashville plays music. Everybody, you know, you, yeah. the, the person serving your pizza at the pizza <laughs> place is a musician that's probably played for pretty big records. Probably, yeah. you know, there's the only way to, um, you know, my best advice to, to move your career forward is to just be a good person and help people out, you know, yeah. and just, connect people to, to other people and they'll do the same for you. So, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, you have to get lucky. You have to have a big break. And, and that's true to a certain extent. But, you know, one of my heroes uh, is Rod Morgenstein, one of my all time favorite drummers. And he said, um, you know, luck favors the prepared. Mm hmm. 
yeah. which I think was just it was brilliant words that that yeah, he exactly. gave to me as as his piece of advice. Luck favors the prepared. So you yeah you have to put in the time. You have to practice. And that's the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah, I, I mean I I think that's fair fair yeah. statement as well. Um, you know, which kind of brings me to to another line of questioning. What is your practice routine like? You know, I know that you work with, you know, when you're off the road, you're not doing your main gig that you're working with local artists. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you've you've played with uh, Ali Ann, you know, a yeah. great country kind of thing, pop country kind of uh, gig here locally. What's your practice routine like besides playing other gigs? I mean, do you set up a kit and play every day? Yeah, I have a studio built in my basement and basically I'll, I, I try not to touch that kit when I tour. I don't take anything from it. I try to keep that kit always set up with cymbals and drums and everything. And then, you know, the, for me, the my practice routine is I wish it was a little more organized and a little more thought out, but yeah. it might usually consist of me going down the basement when I have a spare minute and just throwing down whatever I feel like throwing down. You know, usually it's playing simple grooves and just kind of getting, trying to vibe a little bit and kind of see where it goes, you know? And, uh, I, I wish I focused more on learning drumming a little more. I think I, uh, Oh, I know I did. (laughs) Yeah, I've never been one to work on rudiments and and stuff. I've always been just kind of like, you know, let's sit down and play and see what happens more or less. And it's probably been more of a curse than anything because I don't. I don't. It's easy to get into a uh, to a place to where you're you're not as creative as you could be, I guess, because you're not pushing yourself that way. But at the same time, I'm learning to understand myself as a drummer a little better, I think because of it, I'm trying to be a little more, uh, I guess a little more creative with it, I guess. But, uh, you know, there's a, there's a place for technicality. There's a place for all that, you know, the stuff that I probably should learn to do, but I always put it off for later, I guess, you know, Yeah. but the, uh, you know, it, it helps to playing doing cover gigs and stuff is, is a great, uh, practice tool because you're learning to, you know, you're, you're learning to be a better memorizer. You're learning yeah. to, you know, there's a lot of things that go into playing a cover. It's not just trying to, you know, in, in country and rock or whatever, there's a lot of intricate stuff going on. You got to, you know, th- there's a lot of parts that, that I wouldn't otherwise have learned if I wasn't doing the gig. And I've put that in my toolbox for later, you know, little right. things and stuff. And, um, you know, that's probably the, the most of the practice that I'm doing is either just playing for fun or just trying to learn whatever song I have to learn for the next gig or whatever it is. Right. Well, you know, you bring up a a really good point and we've talked about memorization a few times in our time together tonight. Um, You know, I get accused of being the guy that never forgets a song. That's right. great. <laughs> well, it, well, yeah, you know, it, it, it is. And I'm very lucky, but it's because I don't have a ton of chops, you know, in, in my toolbox. So I always, you know, made it incumbent upon myself. I'm going to remember this song, you know, that mm-hmm. that it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then the middle eight, then verse, chorus, whatever the case may be. And, you know, when I get together and jam with guys, you know, like the guys from Funnel that I haven't, you know, jammed with much at all over the past five, six years, um, you know, we get together and we start running through a song and invariably everybody looks at me and goes, is is this the bridge? You know what I mean? And that's not me bragging. 
it's just the way I had to be as a player. I yeah, had yeah. to know where the song is going. Do you find yourself being that guy that you're the arranger of, of the bands that you're in? Uh, probably not as much as uh, I find myself looking to the bass player a lot. Okay. Like, like All right. I'm going to look for his cue or look for the guitar player to say, oh, I'm going to wait for this little cue here. Cause you know, it's, a lot of times when the chorus is coming, there's all these little things that happen. You know, like, hey, this is going to be the chorus. If I'm unsure for some reason, you know, it's like, okay, that's definitely going to be the chorus. And here we go. And then I'm from that point on, I'm like, okay, this is, I'm more confident with it. But um, yeah, I don't think I've ever been, uh, I don't know. I mean, even though I'm, I'm a memory player, being the one that it's 100% certain with the song, I'm still kind of, there's still a lot of room for, uh, but I don't. It's the skew here. Well, now, yeah. now, I never said I'm 100%. <laughs> so there's a difference. But I don't want to be relied upon to be the, the dude that's, the, I mean, I, even though that's that's the gig is being, you know, knowing yeah. those cues and stuff. But I find myself looking at the bass player more than I should, I think. Yeah. For that type of thing. Well, you know, I mean, I don't know what it is, but I mean, I've even been in musical situations where somebody would say, what are the first words? You know, and yeah. I'm like, <laughs> you tell me and we'll both know, brother, you know, yeah. because I'm not a singer. You know, you, nobody wants to hear me sing. I can barely do, you know, background vocals in a studio. But and that's with some help, and, you yeah. know, it's sweeten it up a little. But, you know, I mean, I think it's I think it's interesting that us as as drummers, what we bring to the mix is different than what a guitarist brings to the mix. I mean, besides the obvious, we're playing a percussive instrument. I think that drummers tend to make better arrangers. In, in other words, mm -hmm. you know, guitar players get this riff stuck. Um, and I'm not just picking on guitarists, but they'll this riff goes this way. It goes this way. You mentioned Lars Ulrich earlier, you know, Inner Sandman, arguably the biggest song they ever recorded. It was he that went to Kirk Hammett and said, you know, that's a great riff, but put this little tail on it. Yeah. And it became that song, you know. Yeah. Iconic guitar the, part. Now. The iconic guitar by part. By the drummer. <laughs> by the drummer. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, he's not a guitarist. So I think we bring a different... I don't know. It's maybe it's because we think of life in fours and eights and twelves and sixteens. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I don't know if that's what it is or not. But do you find yourself playing that role in the writing process, uh, or do, are you just kind of a go with the flow kind of guy? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, I think um, especially in the beginning of the writing, it's more of a kind of go with the flow and see where it's going, and then um, a lot of times I'll try to lay the groove to where they, I can lead them in a way where yeah. they kind of, okay, that's kind of where this is going. And then, uh, I, yeah, so I'd say probably for the most part, it's, it's more, it's more me trying to, trying to take the groove in a certain direction and hope that they follow. And if they don't, then, then we'll take it back to the drawing board and right. start over. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's bred into us as drummers that we want to, to steer the ship, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like, okay, we're going to go over here now or no, 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 we're going to go this way now. I just, I, I find it interesting. And I always like to ask people that and how they work. Um, 
TJ, I certainly appreciate your time. I mean, this has just been fantastic. I want to be respectful of your time. You know, I don't no, want to. It's been a blast, man. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it goes without saying, man. You're welcome here anytime. I mean, heck, we're practically neighbors. You know, yeah. we, we need to, you know, when you're not on the road, maybe we can give you a co hosting gig or something like that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come hang out and, and talk drums anytime, man. But I, I really, to. really do yeah. appreciate you doing it. And uh, uh, keep us posted on what's going on you know when soil gets uh, back into the studio uh if you guys get you know an album an ep release certainly bring it to us we'd love to share it with the world that that would be awesome man so uh don't be a stranger come back and see us anytime thanks so much for having me i really appreciate it absolutely brother thanks so much we'll talk to you real soon All right, guys and girls, that's going to wrap up episode 33 of the Drum Shuffle. Really appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. We cannot do what we do without every single one of you guys. So thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I I ask every week, hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in. It helps us tremendously to continue to grow here at the Drum Shuffle. Uh, So uh, and you're not going to want to miss some of the guests that we have coming up here over the next few weeks. Uh, So hit that subscribe button. Uh, We love hearing from you throughout the week. I I love getting your emails. Uh, You can reach us at the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is the drum shuffle.com. And of course, you can find my ugly mug over at jamieeds.com. Again, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We're going to be joined by great educator and jazz drummer. Uh, next week by the name of Jay Lawrence. So you're not going to want to miss that. So until next time, as always, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.